Good morning and welcome back. I'm Rick Brown. Thank you for joining us on today's Seek First podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First podcast. Thanks, everybody. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready. Grab your Bible, prepare your heart and mind. Let's go. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, one o'clock, Godspeed. Great to see you guys. You're looking chipper. Pastor Rob is over in Israel with 25 pastors, so be praying for him. He gets back this week, and uh, he's giving them the tour of the Holy Land, which is really special with Turning Point Faith as we're trying to grow that dimension of Turning Point. If you haven't joined us in our Anchored in the Word reading, I would encourage you to join with us if you don't have a regular Bible reading. If you have a great devotional life, then praise God, I don't want to mess with that. But this is an encouragement as a couple was sharing with me earlier today after our service that, hey, we've never done this before. And as a couple, we're doing it together. And they were reading through Matthew and their uh, 13-year-old is uh, in our youth group going through the Gospel of Matthew too. And so the dad had a big smile on his face. He said, yeah, I didn't understand some of the reading in Matthew. So my 13-year-old from youth group was explaining to me what, and I thought, what a great thing. Talk about uh, cross-pollination and a child will lead them. What a blessing. But because of that, we choose from that reading uh, to share on Sundays, Saturday nights and Sundays. But this week I had just such a conundrum because one of the hardest things to do is to pick a passage when it's all really good. Right? If you're praying and you're reading, you're like, this is so good. Oh, this, oh, oh, no, wait, this is so. So this week I prepared a message and I said, nah, maybe not. I set it aside. I prepared another message. Like, nah, maybe not. I set it aside. I prepared another message and I set it aside. So I prepared four messages. So this weekend I'm sharing with you four different messages. <laughs> and I'm not saying that to boast. It's actually a confession that I'm ADD and attention deficits like squirrel, you know, type of thing. And sometimes it's like, well, I'm just going to go with it, whatever's happening. And I pray that the Lord would bring the people at, to each service because he knows what people need supernaturally. And I don't know, but the Holy Spirit does. And uh, if you have your own Bible, you want to open to Matthew chapter 10 as we look at our message, Boot Camp Survival Part 2. I did half of this message last night. But if you need a Bible, raise your hand and our service team is going to get you one. If you want a Bible in your hand, we're going to stand in a few moments after the introduction and uh, read it together, and then pray. But the reality is that you and I are in a spiritual battle, in a spiritual war. And how are we going to survive when it comes to us navigating this Christian life? Now, the disciples were going to go into all kinds of scary situations. And I'm going to talk to you guys as if you are uh, ministry students getting ready to be sent out. And we should have a big sign on the door as you exit, entering your mission field. Because when you do a lot of missions, as I have over the years, this last 35 years, whether it's uh, preaching in, in Mexico with a, a little tin roof and a dirt lot with dark dogs barking around you while you're trying to do translation, talk about, I've been in some crazy situations. And yet, God always works, but you need wisdom in that effort. I was in India one time, and we were... Uh, we were going to dedicate four different churches, 
But the LRA was after the churches. The LRA is a radical Hindu group that promised that they were going to show up and beat everybody up there. They're a very violent mob in, in India. So we had to share with us these small congregations that were dedicating their churches. And I mean, dedicating their churches, these are in the slums. It's literally like a single car garage. That's the church. But they were so proud of it because they had poured every penny they had in it to build those little churches. So what the congregations had to do was they showed up, and this is all four of them. We told them a day. All we could do is say a day because you couldn't hand out any flyers or anything like that because the LRA was after us. So we had this uh, uh, plan that they would pick a day, and then the congregation would show up at 6 in the morning and stay there till 10 at night, and we would randomly just show up. So they had to stay there from that early in the morning till 10 at night, and then we would just randomly show up and then worship with them and then move on to the next church on the next day. And on this specific trip, we were looking for property for children who were getting AIDS uh, uh, so that along the coast so that they had a beautiful place to go die because that's basically what they were doing. And in the midst of this, we got thrown kind of a curveball they said, hey, uh, uh, Pastor Rick, we're going to a leper colony. Now, I've only read about leprosy, right, in the scriptures. I know about Hansen's disease and all these things. And, uh, but it, I mean, out of all the things, the LRA and us getting beat up, and with the scary thing about the LRA for the people, we'd get to all four churches we showed up in the LRA did not know when we were going to show up randomly. But the pastor was so sad, he told me, he said, oh, pastor, that this pastor and his wife of this little church, they are going to be beaten this week. But it's okay, they'll survive. They'll just beat them bad. It's all right. Because in their, these villages where we were doing it, it's like the slums, the, the women, it's like, it's like uh, first century. They go to the well in the morning, and then they go to the well in the evening to get their water because there's no running water. So the Hindu women would beat up the pastor's wife at the well when she goes in the morning or night whenever they chose to, and the, and the pastor would be beaten up as well. And so when you're navigating this, like it's a violent place. We're, we're not used to this kind of experience. And I, I could handle everything. I've been beat up a number of times, like whatever. And, uh, but the leprosy thing, let me tell you, I was on the back seat, and... And everywhere, it's like potholes. You have to take Dramamine just to get around in India. You're in the van like this. And when they said leprosy, I'm, I'm wide awake. <laughs> now, what? What's going on? They said, well, somebody's invited us to come minister to these people. And, and we didn't tell you, Pastor, but we have these, we, these two trash bags in the back of the van. And I said, I saw those trash bags. What's in them? And they said, well, there's shoes in them. We're taking them to the people, the leper colony, because they have to have shoes on their feet when they sleep. If not, the rats eat their feet at night. And they can't, they can't feel it because their nerve, uh, Hansen's disease kills your nerve ending. So you don't even know your feet are being eaten. And I'm like, you know, one thing to another. And, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but how's, how's, in my mind, like I'm going through my Rolodex, Hansen's disease, how is it contagious from open wounds and bleeding wounds? And, um, but the truth is like 99.5% of people have an actual natural immunity to uh, Hansen's disease. You'll never even get it. But I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> I wish I would have. Anyway, so they tell me this and three minutes later, the van stops and they said, we're here. And I'm like, wait, I haven't got all my questions answered. And, <laughs> And, and everywhere you go there, because it's a respect thing, you have to take off your uh, flip-flops at the door to go into the house. 
and I'm thinking to myself, bloody feet on the floor, my feet, and in the summertime, your feet crack, and it can actually be an open wound, and it can be infected. I hope I'm not, have you already had lunch? Okay, well, (laughs) anyway, not too much information. I'm just saying, mission stuff can be scary, and so, uh, and I told the pastor who had invited me, I said, I'm not taking my flip-flops off. I don't care who I have been. I'm not going home with leprosy. And, and he's like, yeah, Rick, whatever, whatever. Do your, whatever. He was just kind of tired of me asking the questions. So the van door opens, and I'm backing out of the van, still asking my questions because I'm not done. And I, ask, and I turn around, and there's a person right there. So I stand up short, and I thought it's a, a missionary that's going to meet us there to lead us to the leper colony. And he turns around, and he's a leper. He's missing his nose, his ears. He's got, you know, a few fingers. And he goes, oh, pastor. And he just throws his arms around me like that. And he gives, he gives me the biggest hug. And I go, well, Jesus, I'm all in now. <laughs> and so we go into this room that's like a living room that's literally maybe a, a 15 by 20 room, like you're a size of a nice living room. And there's 30, 35 people packed in there. You can't even find, you can't even walk between the people. And it was, let me tell you, on one hand, physically, it was like 90 degrees and the smell of all the bodies and the, the, all the, you know, they had stumps bandaged up with blood coming through in their feet and all this stuff, missing nose and ears and, and stuff. But what was so precious in a spiritual way was they were, in India, they, not having um, the places we minister, didn't have instruments, very, very poor people. And so they clap, clapping is all of their, all their music. And here's these precious people worshiping Jesus, clapping with their little stubs in their hands. And it was so awe-inspiring because you see, in India with the caste system, these people are the untouchables. The Hindu culture, because of reincarnation and its, its teaching, these people, there's no compassion for these people. Christianity is their only hope, that Jesus loves them. And, and this is the whole purpose when Jesus gives this message that we're going to share here in a moment, is that Jesus looked at the multitudes and he saw them as weary and sheep without a shepherd. You never saw so many people with lost emptiness in their eyes and the hopelessness of a system that if they're outside of the right caste, where they're the Dalits, which means the untouchables, that they're hopeless. There's no hope. I never saw the hope of Jesus in such a radical way in all my life. And the real life, they were worshiping idols, like the worshiping the monkey god and offering food to it and dancing around to the monkey god, like real first century Old Testament looking paganism and the hope that Jesus brings. Now, you and I are not in a culture, we're in a culture that's been affected by Judeo-Christianity that came out of the, the cult-like darkness. But now it's starting to go back because people are turning the back on God. In Michigan, this last week, the city council just approved for this one cult to start offering animal sacrifices. They are now, the, the uh, uh, Church of Satan is now opening uh, Satan clubs in schools for children in schools across America. The progressive left, they call it progression, like we're progressing upward, it's regression back into paganism. That's what's happening. The whole left that has got this climate hysteria going on, that, you know, the global warming, we're all gonna die. They've been saying that for years, right? And, and we're not uh, <laughs> climate deniers, it, it's, 
in the last 170 years, it has increased by 1.5 Fahrenheit degrees. So I'm not a denier. It's just like, so what? <laughs> because reading experts in a new book, and I want to encourage you, if you're really affected by climate change, read the new book by the provost professor of Caltech called Unsettled. Everybody acts like it's a settled issue. He said, this science is absolutely unsettled. We have no idea. Do you know the temperature changes every day, right? From where I'm from in Idaho, it can be 30 in the morning and up to, you know, 60 or 70. That's about a 40, you know, degree. So what? But it's more than that. It's a religious zeal to worship nature rather than God. They worship the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. It's paganism with the veneer of science, which is not scientific, according to the provost at Caltech. Caltech and MIT are the most prestigious technical colleges in America. And this is this new book, Unsettled. Anyway, I digress. Were we going to do a Bible study? I think we were. Anyway, <laughs> hey, stand with me. Let's read Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 16, because we need to know how to survive this boot camp of the Christian life. Verse 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Heavenly Father, who speaks in us when we are called on the carpet through persecution and government officials, Lord, would you speak to us now and open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word to strengthen us for preparation for what this new year holds for each one of us as we stand strong for you, Jesus. Help us now, we pray, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This rehearses just a little bit of ground before it breaks new ground in what I shared last night. This is really part two of boot camp survival. And the first thing, we need to know how to survive because it's a dangerous situation, according to Jesus' illustration in verse 16, that he's sending us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, we need to be as wise as serpent and harmless as doves. The metaphor, obviously, is very rich with the animal kingdom. And he starts, first of all, by saying, you and I are sheep. Now, the Bible, it's not a flattering term to be called a sheep if you grow up where I grew up and you're around sheep. Sheep are very dumb. They're absolutely defenseless. Sheep have no sharp claws. They have no sharp teeth. I mean, what are they going to do? You know, bow you to death? Bah! Bah! They're they, they defenseless. They're not really that fast. I mean, they have no defense. Their only defense is a shepherd. There's no other, there's no other way around it. And a, sheep, and a sheep is no match for a wolf. But a sheep doesn't even need a wolf to ruin his own life because they're so dumb without a shepherd. In my uh, neck of the woods where I'm from, one day I open up the paper, back in the old school when you had newspapers, and it says, 40 sheep suffocate to death. And I'm like, well, that's unusual. And so something startled this 40 head of sheep. Uh, there, there was no... Uh, 
torn up body parts, so it wasn't a carnivorous animal. Something just startled them. They all freaked out. They ran into kind of a, a low spot with a thicket, and they so jammed in there, they suffocated one another, and nothing was chasing them. And they just died. If you leave sheep on their own, that's their life. <laughs> so when Jesus says that you guys are going out as sheep, and there's an adversary, wolves that are after you. Now, wolves are legit. We have them in spades now up in Idaho because those who are progressive <laughs> wanted to re-implement these carnivores that come and do a lot of dangerous things. So these wolves are quite scary. They're quite prolific. But if I'm a sheep in a dangerous world of wolves, how am I going to survive that? Well, I have a good shepherd that's watching my back, and he's going to take care of the wolves, but he wants me to operate as wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. So we're not country bumpkins that are gullible about human nature and about situations and all the things that can be dangerous. I grew up on the streets, and, and I'm aware. I have situational awareness when I'm in dangerous places because I grew up getting beat up a lot, right? You either are very tough or you have to run fast. I'm neither not very good at either one, so I was, you know, a sheep that was going to get some scars on his face. But you and I are Christians. You know, you're going to go out there on Monday. You're going to go to work. And there's going to be some wolves there that just want to devour you and your Christianity. They want to destroy your faith. Some people delight in humiliating Christians. Have you met some? They love to mock you. They love to make fun of you. They love to use the Lord's name in vain. They love to just, whatever it is to, to goad you, they're into it. But now he goes through a series of things that gives us the picture of what those wolf-like moments might be. The first is religious persecution. Verse 17, but be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. So religious people are some of the worst at persecuting true believers. It all started with Cain, who was a religious man, and Abel was a genuine believer, and he persecuted him and killed him for his faith because he was envious that God blessed him and didn't bless him. It's the same envy. See, Cain was envious of God's blessing on Abel, and he killed him. But when Pilate, when the, the uh, chief priests and all the Pharisees and Sadducees handed over Jesus, it says, and Pilate knew that they handed him over for envy's sake. They were envious of his ministry. Every culture, every community has religious organizations that will attack genuine Christians. They just will. Because they don't want that message to spread. They have embraced things that are not true or not biblical, even if they say that they believe this book. A liberal Christian is somebody that professes Christianity but actually doesn't believe the teachings of the Bible. You know that, right? But they are Christian in name but not in practice or reality. So when I was, I went to eastern Idaho, and many people don't know this, but per capita for a long time, and I haven't checked things for some time, but uh, for a long time, Idaho, Idaho had more Mormons per capita than Utah did because they came into eastern Idaho. So I grew up with Mormons my entire life. But when I was called to go to Idaho Falls where they have a Mormon temple, I told my pastor who I was going there to, uh, I was getting some counsel and advice from him. He said, oh, you're going where Satan's throne is. 
I said, wow, that's, that's encouraging. That's a lighthearted encouragement. Thanks, Pastor, for sending me out with a lightness in my step. But the reality is that there is a, a spiritual uh, um, domination or oppression that you can actually feel. It's actually tangible. And uh, I had another pastor come visit me. I'd been ministering there for years, and he was, he was originally from Southern California, and then he was ministering in Boise, and he came, and he hung out with me for four days. And after the second day, he was going around town and talking to people and just checking things out. And he goes, dude, you need a passport to come to this place. Meaning it was almost like a, a different world of reality. I said, oh, yeah, I know. People in California say that they have Mormon neighbors. The Idaho, Eastern Idaho Mormons are different. They're much closer to what Joseph Smith believed, right, rather than culturally affected. But they would uh, give me an extremely hard time and uh, make fun of me. But at another church, I planted two churches in eastern Idaho in Mormon communities, and we started a radio station called Cross Radio. So we were reaching so many Mormons through the radio that the Mormon bishops actually went on record in all of their words in eastern Idaho and demanded that all their people stop, <laughs> stop listening to Cross Radio. But you know what happened? They all went right out and turned on the radio to tune in to Cross Radio. Because if you tell humans to uh, uh, not do something, they're going to do it. And you know, a lot of them were not doing it, but they, they help us spread the word. But there's a religious body when, when Jesus would... Uh, was ministering, it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Paul the Apostle, it would be the, uh, basically the, the Judaizers that would chase him, or other pagan things like in Ephesus, when he kept telling people, the goddess Diana, is, that, that's not a, that's, it's not truly a god. And so the silversmith who was making little idols and selling it and everything, they, they came and, and made a big ruckus and wanted to destroy the work. You're gonna have religious persecution, which, when it's false religion, it doesn't shock you. But when it's in the name of Christianity and there's some liberal group of people that actually don't believe the Bible, then it gets a little more confusing because you're like, now why are they attacking me for telling the truth about Jesus? There's political persecution that we've experienced in the last couple of years. Verse 18, you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak for it will be given you to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. The Lord tells us that governors and kings we were told by our governor that we were non-essential, right? We closed our doors, the county supervisors sued us, we ended up in court. Uh, all across the country, churches ended up in court. My friend Mike McClure up in San Jose still has $4.3 million in fines. The sixth district court finally said that the, the health department of Santa Clara County can no longer fine him and that part of it's over, but the judge did not remove the fines, so they still hang over their head like this ton of bricks. And when we are brought in, he tells us that this is an opportunity for a testimony. Hey, can I get arrested so I can tell them about Jesus? Now, who's signing up for that, right? In the future, many of us are going to end up getting in trouble with the law and being able to share the gospel. I have a friend that was ministering in Iran, and he kept getting arrested. And it's a capital crime in Iran uh, to convert somebody from Islam to, into Christianity, and he kept getting arrested for it. It's actually the death penalty there, if you do it. But he would keep, continue to share Christ with all the arresting officers, and they kept letting him go because he kept, he kept converting them and sharing Christ with them. It was, it was something. 
But it's an opportunity to preach. Mike McClure uh, stood before the judge and he was able to talk for 45 minutes on, on the witness stand. And his dad, who was in the, the courtroom, Don, told me, he said, we, we were going in the van all together to the courthouse in San Jose. And I was telling Mike, I, I said, well, fortunately you got that promise, Mike, that the Holy Spirit's gonna tell you what to say. And he goes, I know, that's all. He goes, I have no idea what I'm gonna say. And he got up there and his dad was allowed to be in the courtroom. Nobody else was besides the attorneys. And, and Don said, the anointing of the Holy Spirit on Mike for that 45 minutes was awe-inspiring. He had, no, he had no planned words whatsoever, and the Holy Spirit just spoke through him directly to the judge's heart. These are not stories to tell in Sunday school. This is the way to live when it really happens. This is reality. And with the, our culture and the way that it's turning, it's gonna be a lot more common for us as Christians to get ourselves in hot water so we can tell people about Jesus. Now, you have to be comfortable with the jail ministry. You okay with that? Right? <laughs> I went to jail for being a bad guy. I might as well go to jail for being a good guy, right? <laughs> Different things. Anyway, I was rocking the orange coveralls at 14. So, 15, excuse me. Then there's family persecution. This is really painful in verse 21. But brother will deliver up brother to death and a father to his children. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be, be saved. Now when your family starts turning on you, man that, man, that hurts. Some of us, the last three years, we got estranged from our family, right? We weren't invited uh, to Thanksgiving, or we were uninvited. We had an invitation until they found out you weren't wearing a mask and hanging out with a bunch of super spreaders at Godspeak. And, but it, it just hurts when your family starts attacking you for your faith. And some of you have family members that literally now there's a animosity and an enmity and a hatred because you simply love Jesus. I just wanna encourage you, I know it really hurts because I've had this experience, but they don't hate you, they hate Jesus in you. When Paul the Apostle was knocked down on the road to Damascus, Jesus told him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now he was persecuting Christians, Jesus took it personal, he took it personal, he said, you're persecuting me, when you touch my people, you're persecuting me. And I love that Jesus steps in that space because it, it feels like it kind of takes the burden off me. I, Lord, I'm just trying to love you and do what you want me to do. And these people are, are hating on me for it. You're going to have tension. As a matter of fact, not only the tension with your family, but sometimes a whole city or community, the community persecution in verse 23 through 25, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you that you will by not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes, because they were going before him and they were preparing the way and he was coming right behind him. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is, not, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Jesus says, if you're persecuted in this city to the degree, degree, you have to flee. Paul the Apostle, he would come into town four weeks later, there would be an incredible revival, and then the riot would break out and he'd have to run for his life. The pilgrims came from overseas to the Americas because they were looking for a place of freedom apart from the control of government to dictate their worship. 
You and I, as I read this week, three psychologists have went on record to say, we are leaving the state of California because the laws that they have passed now make it criminal for us to actually practice our counseling. Because you can only affirm gender uh, uh, dysphoria, thank you. Just third service, brain fade, almost 60, give me some grace. Anyway. I have memory dysphoria right now, gender dysphoria. So, but the the thing is, is that more of that's going to happen when they come after your kids. Some families will begin to leave the state. This law that they've passed for all the people to, you have to have on public record all of your vaccinations that are a matter of public record. There's some point that people are just going to say, you know, I love the uh, California coast, but (laughs) I'm going where there's hot cactus Texas. I'm going somewhere where there might be a little bit more freedom. But you don't have to flee until, I mean, literally, it's life-threatening, right? Hey, we're going to stand and be salt and light. But I want you to know that the devil's tactics to humiliate and shame believers has been around for a very long time. They, they said that Jesus was Beelzebub, or casting out demons in the name of Beelzebub, which literally means the Lord of the flies. It's another name for Satan. They're saying, Jesus is a minister of Satan. Can you imagine people saying that? We are smeared in every way. We are uh, narrow-minded, bigoted, uh, fascist, transphobe, homophobe, whatever. None of it's true. It's all lies. But the Satan traffics and lies. And you have to understand that, hey, just, just deflect these lies and this garbage they're saying about you because it's not true. It's not true of you individually. It's not true of our church. If it is true, obviously, if you're prejudiced towards people because of the color of their skin, it's sin. You should repent. Just love everybody. <laughs> That's what God wants. But the reality is Satan does this, and he said, if they Jesus' hand, if they did this to me, you think you're going to get away with loving Jesus and not getting people, you know, calling you names? Sticks and stones may broke my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, I know the, the childhood playground nursery rhyme. It actually does hurt. It does hurt emotionally. I think you're abnormal if you don't want to be liked by people, right? I mean... Who wants to be hated? Who wants to be called names? Nobody I know, and I don't think of anybody that wakes up and goes, ha, 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 people are gonna hate me today, rock on. I think you need mental help, right? Though I wanna be a loving individual, when it happens, Jesus is preparing me that, hey, I better have some thick skin and keep a tender heart because it's gonna get ugly. And, And I know it's hard, and sometimes in our relationships, one of us is wanting to be bold, and the other one's like, you know, don't bring us into the crosshairs. You know, the, we don't want a big target on our back. You love Jesus in this day and age. You are a target, right? Unless you're just doing the undercover thing. One day, I, saw, I led a guy to Christ, and about nine months later, I said, hey, how's it going at the site, which was a nuclear facility that people went to work, and he was an engineer. I said, how's it going? And I meant, you know, how's it going, you walking with the Lord and your job? And he, he looked Right and left, he was a big guy. Looked right and left, he goes, it's great, pastor. Nobody even knows I'm a Christian. And he's, he, was a, he was a brand new Christian. I'm like, I'm a lousy pastor. If he thinks that's the goal, to go through life undercover, I am such a lousy pastor. Anyway, 
His name was Klaus. Klaus, if you're watching right now, <laughs> get bold, my friend. <clears throat> then there's the lies, and this is where it comes down to, the lies of persecution and the truth about persecution. Verse 26, therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Don't you want the truth to come out about all this garbage? Yes. Right? They have been telling us that we're conspiracy theorists. You know the difference between a conspiracy and reality in this generation? About nine months. <laughs> right? We call it out, and about nine months later, they go, oh, you know, by the way, I think, you know, that's, that's probably right. That's probably true. But there's nothing that is hidden that is not going to be uncovered. Jesus is saying, all these lies that people are saying about you, and the people that are doing it, I mean, just, just look at the, you know, if you try to roll a stone on someone, then it, the Lord says it rolls back on you. You try to dig a pit for somebody, then you're the one that ends up falling into it. They made a big deal about Donald Trump and his secret files, and now we have a whole, you know, right, you know, with the Corvette, they, all these, these files. It's like the attacks, and, and then the left, who, who's throwing all this, these lies, they just become instantly silent. They have nothing to say. What files? <laughs> and, and I just wish, well, as Jesus says here in verse 27, the truth about persecution, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. He's saying, these people that are persecuting are trafficking lies, but I want you everything I'm telling you in your devotional life, from God's word, what you're discovering that is truth and reality, I want you to declare it from the housetops. But have you found that lies travel really fast and get quick traction? And truth is a slow mover. Right, it's a slow mover and that's very discouraging because I'm like, Lord, uh, reveal all of this. Now we have all the devastation that's beginning to unfold with these vaccines and people just dropping dead. And you're like, where's the investigative journalism that would do a story on this? It's obvious, I've never seen this in my whole life, week after week, high profile people, dead, boom, dead, 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 dead. Healthy people. When's somebody gonna just dig in and uncover that what's, what's up? I think it was Billy Sunday said that a lie has went around the world while truth is tying its shoes. And that's so discouraging. I just want truth to move faster, but it always comes out. And that's the encouragement, and Jesus is telling us that. Hey, people are going to lie, but the truth will come out. The truth will come out. The truth will come out. Fatal persecution obviously scares some, but it really should be a celebration, they're sending us home. And what are you gonna do? If, if heaven is where I'm going when you kill me, well, thank you very much for the favor. You sent me early. It wasn't on the time schedule, but hey, I'm ready to go. In verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from my Father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more val have more value than many sparrows. The Lord is so tender here to, to prepare them. Hey, you may die, but don't be afraid of them. Pe those people that are gonna kill you. You're like, well, I think that's time to get afraid when somebody's gonna take my life. Well, not if I'm going to heaven, right? I would just ask him, can you make it fast and let's not do the torture thing. <laughs> just, just make it fast. I'm going to open my eyes in heaven and I'm going to be with him. And the Lord says, the very hairs of your head are numbered. The value that God has for you. This is just a, 
a weird thing that I nerded out about this week. I'm like, hairs on your head, numbered. Do you know how many hairs are up on the average head? Just goofy. But for a blonde person, it's about 150,000 hairs upon your head. That's a lot of hair. And it goes down with the darkness of your hair. So brown hair is about 110,000 hairs upon your head. A black, uh, uh, someone who has black hair is 100,000. And then red hair is 90,000. So weird. Who cares? I just wanted to share that with you. It's one o'clock. I don't care. Just be nerdy, right? But the important thing is not one of these hairs falls to the ground or a sparrow falls to the ground that God doesn't see. And how much more valuable? You know, if you've been getting persecuted and getting just, you know, uh, as far as your reputation, just getting the tar knocked out of you, I worked in construction, and so I would just be, people would mock me to no end. And because I had repented and given my life to Christ, I couldn't just like throttle them like I used to in the world. Like, all right, let's go outside, dude. Let's take care of it. So now I got to pray for them and love them and be kind. <laughs> what? <laughs> Whew, Jesus, help me, help me, help me, help me. They'd call me names and, hey, you're the Bible thumper, you're the Jesus freak, Mr. Sunday School, you're Billy Graham. You're just like all this mockery, mockery, mockery. And you know, it gets old. You go to work every day and that's what you get. But the Lord wanted me to pray for him, so I just keep praying for him. And then these quiet moments, nobody else is around. When the, all the crowd, when they work together individually, they come up and say, hey, man, will you pray for me? Because the salt and the light, they know the real thing, you guys. No matter what they say, they know you. If you know Jesus, they know it. They know it. So what are they going to do? I mean, they're going to kill us? If they put me in jail, I'm going to have a jail ministry. So I'm just going to keep teaching the Bible, seeing people come to Christ. I mean, they, they put me in isolation. I guess I'm just going to read the Psalms and praise Jesus till I go be with him. You see, you have to remove fear. You have to remove all the things that you're terrified of that they will do to you. What if they take everything you had? Well, you came into this world naked and a doctor slapped you on the butt. I mean, so what? You start over. You got nothing, right? You started with nothing. You start over. When you remove all the leverage of fear that they have, you are courageous. You are filled with courage because you're not afraid to die. You're not afraid to go to jail. You're not afraid to lose everything. And you have to strip all of that garbage that the devil uses for leverage to scare you, because he will shut your mouth with fear. He will shut my mouth with fear. And I've been terrified in situations before where I shut my mouth only to kick myself afterwards and like, you gutless wonder. I'm harder on myself than anybody else would be on me. Like, why didn't you stand up? Why don't you have a backbone? The righteous are as bold as the lion and the wicked flee when no one pursues them. Where's that bold lion? The power of confession in verse 32, therefore whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Wow, the power of confession? Actually, Jesus is going to either confess you to the Father in heaven or deny you to the Father in heaven. How do you think that conversation sounds with your name in the sentence? Hey Father, Rick just confessed me before men. He's mine, we're in this together. Or, hey, Father, Rick just denied me before men. He's not one of mine. Is that not terrifying? That makes my knees want to knock together. Like, I, 
I was in a freshman class of literature at college. I was a brand new Christian, and um, the professor was uh, a hateful uh, guy towards God. He started his whole thing like, we're going to talk about literature, and he went through this list of all the books we're going to go through, and he says, and we're even going to touch, and he just got this sneer on his face, we're going to touch on the, uh, the literature of the Bible. Any of you Christians in here? You can call them Christians. We're in a class of like 50 people. I'm a brand new Christian. I'm on the back row. And I've never really experienced, except I had lost some friends and stuff. I'm like, trying to navigate this. I did not know this Bible study, but I really needed it. And I didn't know it. And not a hand went up in the room. And I thought about putting my hand up. And I'm like, I don't know. This is like my first day of class in college, a freshman. I'm going to go on record. And I got the hateful, you know, you know, spitting, sneering professor up here. And I just, I didn't raise my hand. There was a guy on the front row. He was older. He's like 35, going back to school for something, totally unintimidated. He's right on the front row, right in front of the professor. He said, yes, sir, I'm a born-again Christian. (laughs) About two weeks later, I read this passage. And my soul, my heart was devastated. I was like, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. You ever give me a shot like that again, I'm going on record. I don't care who's there. And I thought about that guy, and I thought, man, what courage that guy stepped up right in the middle of class. He didn't care. Even this, I mean, this guy was so belittling, the professor, was so, he was wanting to humiliate any Christian to shut their mouth, and this guy's mouth could not be shut. That is the power of confession. It happened in the classroom, but Jesus tells us when that happens on planet Earth in the classroom, or in the break room at work, he says, it happens in heaven. It happens in heaven. Jesus tells the Father of our confession. Jesus tells the Father of our denial. That's the power of confession. The consequences of confession, though, in verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The consequences when we go on record with Jesus, it causes conflict within our, the, the family dynamic, the, sister, the uh, sister-in-law or the mother-in-law or the father-in-law. It, it just gets all disjointed because there are those who... My father-in-law was really funny because I was this really bad guy that he didn't want dating his daughter, and I wouldn't want me dating uh, her either if I was a father. And then, but I went from this extreme of this bad boy that he was having his fellow police officers watch out for me, right? Look out for me to get, arrest me, and they accomplished it. And, uh, and then I got radically saved, and I went to this end of the spectrum. I'm loving Jesus, reading my Bible, and going to church. My father was like, like, don't you have a middle ground, you idiot? Right? Right? You gotta be the Jesus freak or you gotta be the bad boy. And that's what people are looking for sometimes. Just that, hey, I just want to be able to get along. But in Jesus, he brings a sword. You have peace in your heart, but it might mean there's now tension within relationships, and Jesus brings that. Once again, they're not hating on you, they hate that Jesus is in you. And that's what convicts them. That's what bothers them. 
the power of the cross in verse, uh, and I, I guess I should touch on this, you know, if you love your father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. Or if you love a son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. Let me just ask you personally, in the sanctuary of your own heart, on the throne of your own heart, is Jesus number one? Everybody else must come after that. My wife knows that she is number two in my life. Jesus is number one. But I won't have the grace to love her like she needs to be loved unless Jesus is number one. And I know Jesus is the number one man in her life so that she can love me the way that she wants to. And then the children, we love the children, but children are a transient relationship that they grow up and they move out and they say, see you later. So you want, I didn't get that, but it must have been good. Hallelujah, they move on, the emptiness, praise God. So the reality is, is that Jesus wants to be number one because he knows, see, you're designed to worship and a human is not designed to receive worship. If I put all of my worship on my wife or on my kids, they're, not, they're imperfect beings that are not worthy of that kind of expression. Only Jesus is. And so he wants to make sure that we know this. Verse 38, the power of the cross, and he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me, and he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. If you don't pick up your cross to deny yourself, what what does that mean? The cross is an implement of death. Luke tells us that we're to do this daily. And in this daily dynamic, I pick up my cross, and by that I'm saying, Jesus, I'm gonna do your will today and not Rick Brown's will. That's all we're saying. I'm gonna do your thing, not my thing. My thing is totally absorbed all about moi. That's my world. You see, you and I are these self-centered creatures. Do you know what pride is? It's preoccupation with yourself. You're thinking about yourself all the time, and you're wondering if other people are thinking about yourself, you. And you're wondering, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about myself all day long, and then I'm gonna ask some other people to think about me too, right? It's all about me. and. I wanna do whatever feels good to me. That's what I'm gonna do. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. If you wanna follow me, you gotta pick up your cross. You're not worthy of me unless you pick up your cross and say, you're gonna do what I want you to do. Not your will be done, but my will be done. I go, oh, okay. So I surrender my will and I began to do what he wants me to do, which is love him and love other people. If I don't love him and I don't love other people, I walk around just loving me and I'm number one. I'm gonna take care of myself. And I know some of you here don't think that you're, you're quite that arrogant or prideful. I guarantee you, you are. And I can prove it because if I have a group photo of 20 people and I show it to you and you're in it, the first person you look for is you. And to see if you have a dumb look on your face or not. And that photo's, that photo's acceptance, whether it's a good photo or a bad photo, does not include the other 19 people. It's only about the expression on your face. You're like, nope, that photo's not gonna work. Now the other 19 people are just like perfect and, and you, you, you could, you know, one of these looks and, you, and it's a bad photo. Why? Because you are consumed and preoccupied with yourself. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. He's not saying I gotta figure out how to love myself. I, you know, it's amazing how I love. If I'm hungry, I feed me. If I'm thirsty, I give me something to drink. If I'm cold, I put on something. If I'm hot, I turn on the AC. Whatever I want, I take care of. And now he says, okay, Rick, you totally got that down. How you t-. Now, now love other people in the same way. You, you mean care, care about them? 
Yeah, why don't you care about them, Rick? I said, isn't, it, isn't that a lot of work? Yeah, it's called servanthood. You, you care about others and you want to serve them too. Really? really, is that what this whole Christian thing is? Love you, Jesus, and love and care about other people? Yeah, you got it now. And I've I got to do that every day till I see you face-to-face in heaven for the next 70 years? Yeah, that's it. Are you in? And all I have to do is reflect on my life without Jesus and what a mess it was. When life surrounded me, it was, I was a hot mess. I was a dumpster fire. And I'm like, you know what, Jesus? I tried all that. There was no love, joy, and peace in it. I'm going to pick up my cross, and I'm going to follow you and say, your will be done because I've discovered when I lose my life, and this is what he means, when I lose my life for your sake to do what you want, I actually discover life for the first time in a real way. Yeah? Amen. But he says, if you find your life, you'll lose it. What he means by that, if I choose to live my own selfish life, I found my life, I'm going to save my life, it's all about my life, he goes, you're going to lose your life. There's going to be no quality of your life to you. None. But if you'll lose it for my sake, you actually find life and step in and go, hey, this is that abundant life thing Jesus was talking about. I'm filled with love, joy, peace. It's awesome. Jesus is good. And when somebody rejects that and says, I don't want your Jesus, I don't want your Bible, I don't want your church, then you have this little conversation with you and you say, man, I get it. You got to have your own journey. But I ask you to do something. I want you to go out there and you're going to look high and low to try to find love, joy, and peace. And when you haven't found it, if you find anything better than Jesus, you owe it to me as a friend to come back and tell me you found something better than Jesus. And I'll totally listen to you. But you also owe it to me to come back and say, there is nothing better than Jesus. And that's the best thing going. It's a great conversation to have with that 19-year-old that wants to reject the whole Christian life. You look at him and say, man, son, I looked everywhere for something of meaning and substance and purpose, and I found nothing, but I'm your pop, and you owe it to me. If you find something better than Jesus, you owe it to me to come back here to our home and tell me about it. I promise you, it might be five years, it might be 50 years, they will come back and say, Dad, there's nothing better than Jesus. This reality of losing your life for him and then actually finding it, and then the topper as we conclude here is the rewards. The promise of rewards from God's perspective blows my mind. It is amazing. It says in verse 40, he who receives you receives me. So if somebody receives me as a Christian, I'm, you're actually receiving the Lord and vice versa. If I receive you as a Christian, I'm receiving as if the Lord himself. And Jesus says, those who receive me, Jesus, they're also receiving him who sent me, which is the Father. He says, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. You say, wait a second. If I love on a preacher and just minister to him and receive him, and I'm not going around doing all the sermons, I'm going to get the same reward as him? He said, that's right, because you helped with my work. His reward system is amazing to me. And it says, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. As I minister to other, we're joined together through ministering to each other, but I get the same reward as you, or you get the same reward as me. If somebody goes to be a missionary in Africa and you receive them, you help them, you pray for them, you give to their work, you didn't have to go to Africa and get malaria, and you're actually gonna get the same reward. I mean, this is Kaching, this is a good system, right, for those who don't want to go to Africa. Whoever gives one of these little ones, a little child, only a cup of cold water in my name, 
uh, in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Do you know that the Lord is really into promising his people a beautiful reward? And there are people that tell me, you know, I'm just, I'm not into rewards, I'm not into this. That's a bunch of garbage. (laughs) Who's not into rewards? (laughs) Right? Who's not into rewards? Right? You are. I mean, it sounds super spiritual. I th- well, I think if you do good things and you're expecting the reward, you've already re- lost the reward. You would... <laughs> Don't you? I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But I want there to be these cool rewards because I've served the Lord for most of my life. And I don't know what they're going to be like. I don't know if it's a really cool crown I really don't want a Burger King crown. <laughs> so if you ask me, do you want a cool crown or a Burger King? No, I want the cool crown. <laughs> People said, that's so unspiritual. You're full of baloney. You want the reward just like anybody else. Why would the Lord promise us a reward if he didn't know it would motivate us? Right? He just gave us a whole list. If you receive him you receive the Father. If you receive a preacher, you get the same reward. You receive a righteous man, you get the same reward. You give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, you receive the reward. If you give somebody just a simple cup of cold water in Jesus' name, the records in heaven are gonna show that when you stand before God. Isn't that simple? It's like some of you are gonna go out and get a case of bottled water, like, hey man, (laughs) Jesus' name, dude, throwing up, go long, you know. Throwing waters everywhere in Jesus' name. Up in heaven, ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. That was just one Costco case. I'm going for a whole pallet next month. God tells us the good, the bad, and the ugly of life to survive this boot camp of hardship in the Christian life. There are going to be people that hate us, that persecute us, and it's going to be hard. They're going to lie about us. But he said, you know, I got this reward for you waiting up in heaven. And when you cross that finish line and you step into heaven, it's waiting for you because of your life of service. I love that the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, God is not forgetful to forget your labor of love that you have shown to his people in the house of the Lord. God doesn't forget what you do for his name. Amen? All right, we're geared up. We're ready. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we pray that you would help us We need you, and we pray that you would just do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think in your grace. Lord, we know who we are, that we are are weak and fearful and timid and shy and bashful, and we hold back, Lord. We're worried about our own skin, our own reputation. We're worried about what others think of us, and and we're even afraid of associating with people that are really bold because we're afraid we'll be identified with those who are bold. Lord, would you sweep away all of that fearfulness, all that humanness that really holds us back from effective service to you? Lord, would you grace us by your spirit and we'll know it came from you, Lord, to give us a fearless courage to live for you. And Lord, thank you for the promise of your reward, Lord, sincerely. I can't believe that you not only save us and wash us by your precious blood, Jesus, but you promise us a reward from our service. Lord, we 
we didn't deserve the salvation and we truly don't deserve a reward, but in your kindness, you're so good that you redeem us and then reward us. So Lord, I pray that you would fill my brothers and sisters with courage to face what they might this year. Lord, the conflicts with family because of you, conflicts with government because of you, conflicts with other religious individuals because of you. Lord, help us just to love people and to love you with all of our hearts and to do it in a winsome, gracious way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now worry about tomorrow or fear in times of trouble. I keep my heart seeking. I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, 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 whoa. When that day draws near, when my dark is I will keep my heart seeking